Jesus said it. Amen. All right. I'm starting a new series this morning, and uh, the series is titled For King and Kingdom. For King and Kingdom. My sermon title is Two Firsts. I'll explain that in just a moment. But let me take a moment to talk about what this title or this series is about. For King and Kingdom. For king and kingdom, the phrase for king and country most likely comes from what is called the Riot Act. Back in 1714 in Great Britain, they passed an act called the Riot Act, and it was to stop to sequel people from not just demonstrating, but getting so boisterous that they get out of hand and endanger other people. Sounds like a, a common sense thing, right? And it was called the Riot Act. And so whenever there was a gathering and people were demonstrating, but they got too loud, they started to damage things, they started to make threatening uh, actions, the... Uh, the police or the government would ride in on their horses and they would read the riot act to give everyone fair warning so that everyone knew what was permissible, what wasn't permissible, what was pushing the envelope too far. So you, if you've ever heard the phrase, oh, I was read the riot act, this is the idiom, this is where it comes from. Back in the 1700s, it was actually an act that Parliament in England had passed, and they would literally read the Riot Act. So now when someone reads you the Riot Act, you know the history of it and where it came from. But in the Riot Act, it talked about for king and country. We're going to live for king and country. And it was designed to pull people together and get people focused on one purpose. Let's build a better us as we live for king and country. Now, in Great Britain, this especially got played out in World War I. World War I in Great Britain, in England, was really referred to as the war for king and country. They knew they were fighting to preserve their homeland. And I'm going to read something here. In England, World War I was the war for king and country. The first World War slogan appeared on postcards sent by men to the front who were at the front to their families. And it was official propaganda, recruiting posters, even commercial advertising, the government made postcards available for free, and on one side it would say for uh, king and country, and all these young men would write to their family members back home. Most poignantly, these words remain today on countless war memorials all across Britain, often chosen by the war bereaved themselves to sum up what their loved ones had died for for king and country. I believe that we have the greatest king of all kings, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we're not fighting for one country. We are fighting for the domain of the kingdom of God. 
Can I get an agreement here this morning? And so this series is all about for King Jesus Christ and for the kingdom of God. I want to start, and I told you my, the sermon title for today is called Two Firsts. Two Firsts. Jesus, and let's always remember, Jesus in the flesh is God speaking to us as a human being. We have an agreement on that, don't we? This is God speaking to us. Every time you read something Jesus said, God is talking. So you're getting it from the highest authority. And we recognize that if God's talking, this has got to be a priority. Because if anyone's got it right, he's got it right. Amen. So here's Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to verse 40. Jesus said to him, this young man, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is the first and greatest commandment. If you read the Ten Commandments, you'll see the very first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Now, those of you who have been with us for a little while, I've preached many times on what is the soul. The Bible says we are spirit, we are soul, we are body. It's interesting the world will always say body, soul, and spirit or body, soul, and mind. And, uh, but they always reverse it, almost every time. There's a subtle reason for that. And that is because we have a fallen world, divine order has been turned upside down and it's been perverted to demonic disorder. It's never body first, it's never soul and then spirit. God designed the divine order. You will function best when you function first as a spirit person. Why? Jesus said the spirit is always willing, but the flesh is weak. God designed our spirit to always be in agreement with him. And when we live from our spirit, we will be heading in the right direction. But when we live from our soul, the soul is made up of your mental intellect. Everything you believe, everything you've accepted as a belief system, everything your parents taught you, everything you picked up as you've journeyed through life, every memory. Your soul is made up of your mental or your intellectual mind, and the soul is made up also of your emotional mind. So who you are in your thoughts, who you are in your decisions, who you are in your belief systems, and what you emotionally gravitate to seals those things, and out of the mind of our intellect and the mind of our emotions, we trigger our will, and we do the things that are in our soul. How many of you know we don't always have good stuff in our soul? Sometimes we've got belief systems that are a little bit jaded. Anyone ever have jaded belief systems? Sometimes we have belief systems that are full of prejudice or bigotry. Sometimes we have belief systems that are based on hate or hurt or rejection. 
And so decisions that come out of the soul aren't great decisions. We are spirit first, then soul, then body. What it means is if the spirit is always willing, in the Greek, Jesus was literally saying, this is what it says in the Greek, the spirit is predisposed to the will of God. And so when it's spirit first, I make my soul come into agreement with my spirit because my spirit's in agreement with God. Hello. How many of you agree that's the best way to live? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we see here Jesus says to this young man, you should love God with all your heart. In the Greek, it's cardia. In the Hebrew, it's the word lebe. And both in the Hebrew word and the Greek word, they always refer to the mind of the intellect and the mind of your emotions. Now, I'm not going to go there today. That's not the topic of my message. But what Jesus is saying is, you need to love God with your mind. And for every man in the house, I want you to understand that God isn't just emotional. Sometimes guys can't relate to the gospel because it feels like and it gets presented like it's all about feeling and it suits women more than it suits men. I want you to know that God is very analytical. God is very logical. Listen, take logic out of a conversation and take logic out of the equation and you're going to have disorder and you're going to have confusion. The Bible says God's not a God or a spirit of confusion. He's a God of order. Amen. Hello? Amen. So God wants us to love him with our intellect. Stay with me. He wants you to think about him. He wants you to get him. He wants you to understand he makes sense. We can read the Bible and it makes sense. It's not just a spiritual, ooey-gooey, emotional thing. And I find that when I preach in this house, even when I preached in Australia and ran churches in Australia, men who never go to church start coming to church and they get turned on to the things of God because they realize God makes sense and the Bible makes sense. But God is also a God of heart. He's a God of feeling. He's a God who cares. And so the soul is the mental, the mind of the intellect and the mind of your emotions. And God says, I want to be loved through your mental processes. I want you to sit down and figure me out. I want you to read my word, and I want you to see my principles because my principles reveal my character. They reveal my personality. When you understand my principles, you're getting a picture of who I am. And then I want you to wrap that up with the emotion of passion. I want you to wrap that up with the emotion of, whoa, I love this guy. He's awesome. I want you to love me with your mind and with your emotions because then your will will be triggered by two things that are centered on me. Is that good preaching? Jesus said, this is the first thing, the greatest thing that you must do. This is the first and the greatest commandment. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he says, 
There is no greater commandment than this. Everyone stop and look at me. I want to share something with you. If loving God with all your heart and all your mind and all your emotions and all your strength is the first and the greatest commandment, then when we don't put God first in our life and when other things steal our affection away from him, we're actually breaking, we're creating and guilty of the greatest sin. Allowing our heart to make God second is the greatest sin according to Jesus. And who's Jesus? He's God. You know, we'll, we'll look at people who are bound by maybe an addiction of alcohol. And sometimes we might look down our nose and say, oh, well, look at their habits. And then we'll look at another person who's bound by pornography and we'll look down our nose and say, well, what a terrible sin. And what we don't realize that God says the greatest sin is not putting me first in your life. Wow. We like to measure everyone by a book of standards and what we think is the worst sin. And uh, God says, no, the, the worst sin is not giving me the honor and the respect and the totality of your love and your affection. Somebody say, wow. Okay. And we're going to talk about the second first. Jesus said you should love the Lord your God first. He should be number one. I hope this might challenge you today. If you come here, I, it is my responsibility before God to hear from him. And you know what? I get the sermon first. And so I get convicted before you get convicted. I told them in the first service this morning, I said, you know, last week we had a young Brazilian guy here preaching away. And here I am, the pauper in the house, the apostle in the house. But he said something that convicted me. And showed me there was an area where God wasn't being first in my life. And I've been working on it all week. Yeah. The greatest sin we could commit is by putting God in second place or third place or fourth place or no place. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25, Jesus is going to tell us about another first. But the irony is, he says a whole heap of stuff before he gets to the point. You ever notice Pastor Rob preaches like that sometimes? Says a whole heap of stuff, and then he makes his point at the end. So let's watch this here. And stay, stay attuned, because Jesus is going to tell us what, uh, there, there's another first. And he says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, or what you're going to drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I think science has concluded that worry is one of the things that will shorten our life the most. Okay? <clears throat> I think Jesus, being God, said this with tongue-in-cheek, knowing that while his generation scientifically didn't understand the devastating effects of worry, here he is, he's using it as the opposite of saying, who can add one hour to their life by worrying, knowing full well that worry will rob us of quality life and life itself. He goes on and he says, uh, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor, they don't spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry and say, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Listen, for the godless, it says for the pagans, for the godless run after these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows you need them. He's not preaching against them. So where's he going with all of this? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that I've been talking about, all the stuff. If you live for God's kingdom first, seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. Now sometimes we lose the depth of what he's saying because the translators have got to pick one word to fit this, the occasion, and in the Hebrew or in the Greek, sometimes one word really builds a picture of about 10 words. So he says, seek first the kingdom of God, and this is what it means in the Greek. The word is uh, zeteo, and it literally means desire, require, and demand have a demand for the kingdom. In Help's word study, it says, actually, it literally means to investigate and to reach a binding resolution within yourself to go after the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God, Wesley, he's saying, I want you to make a binding agreement inside your heart the kingdom of God is the most important thing. And if I run after God's kingdom, God's going to take care of me in this world. What's interesting is that Jesus gives us two firsts. First, he says, God, love God first. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Put God as number one. I can tell you honestly, I'd be a liar. Every one of you can relate to what I'm about to say. I would be nothing but a foolish liar if I told you that God and my love for God was always number one. In the course and the journey of my day-to-day -day life, in my struggles, in my fights, and in my victories, and my downers, 
Sometimes the needle shifts. And my love for God wavers in the midst of all the stuff I'm going through. Who could give me an agreement here? All right? And so this is a call to action. Jesus is saying, come on. God in the flesh is saying, come on. Love me with all your mind, with all your intellect, with all your rationale, and love me emotionally. Bring the power of your mind and the power of your emotions together and press your will to adore me, love me, pursue me, and keep me as a priority in your life. How many of you here are willing to do that? Come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. We waver from time to time and we need a checkup from the neck up. Actually, sometimes we need a checkup from the heart up. Hey, all right. So it's interesting, Jesus gives us two firsts. He says, love God first. When we don't love God first, above everything else, we've broken the greatest commandment. It's not a little mistake. God says it's the biggest mistake you can make. You know, we fall into the trap as Christians. Listen to me. We fall into the trap as Christians. We look at people in the world and we look at the sins they're involved in and we shake our heads and don't realize that the greatest sin is often in the church because we've allowed God to take second place. To whom much is given, much is required. We know more and more is expected of us than even people in the world. Hello? It's not a little mistake. God says it's the biggest mistake we can make. Number two, seek his kingdom first. Seek the kingdom of God first. I'm going to ask you a question. Why are both of these established as a first? Why is Jesus making two firsts? Seek God first and uh, love God first and then seek his kingdom above everything else. And the answer is, if you're really going to love God above everything else, then his kingdom, his business, and what matters most to him will matter most to you. What's interesting here, Dave, is that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he makes these two statements. And as you read through his gospels, you'll see there's two first. Love God above everything else. God first. Seek his kingdom above everything else. Because if you really love God, you're going to love and fall in love with what's important to him. When that doesn't happen, we love something in our life more and our love for God actually becomes diminished. Jesus made this statement. Guys, you can put it on the screen. Seek first the kingdom of God, but he says it after he talks about all of our natural needs, all the stuff we need and all the stuff we want. Do you understand why he talks about all the stuff, the Ferrari, the Rolls Royce, 
Maybe you don't have that rich a budget. The Ford Escalade. <laughs> he talks about the Pierre Cardin. He talks about the fancy suits, the fancy clothes. And he says, hey, listen, seek the kingdom of God be all of this, before all of this stuff. Do you understand why he says that? He says it because it's all that stuff that will stop you from seeking the kingdom of God first. And it's all that stuff that will stop you from loving God first. If I don't put the kingdom of God first, God's business, if I don't put that first, if as an American citizen, I'm living for what I can get and what I can build here, and I just live with the mentality, well, hallelujah, I'm saved, I love God, but I don't put God's stuff first, my love for the stuff I'm chasing will challenge my love for God. Can I prove it to you? Let me show you something else Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, verse 21, this is what he says. Listen to me. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin can destroy it, where thieves break in and steal it. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin don't destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, before I finish that, before I finish that, look at me. Do you understand that it would be a brazen lie for Jesus to use the comparison of treasure on earth and treasure in heaven if there really wasn't treasure in heaven? He's running a comparison between how much money you can make here, how many things you could have here, how great you could be dressed. He's talking about monetary reward. He's talking about earthly treasure, and he's running it as a parallel to the fact that there's treasure in heaven. And if that was symbolic and this is realistic, he's given us a comparison that's going to lead us astray because it's not a reality. Come on. What is the preacher saying? That when God says there are treasures in heaven, they far exceed the eye of man and the imagination of man. The apostle Paul says, I cannot see in the mind of man, can't imagine the treasures that God has waiting for us in heaven. Yeah! Jesus would be a con artist if he's talking about worldly treasure and then figuratively talking about spiritual treasure. He'd be selling you a false bill of goods. But the mere fact that he runs a comparison, he has to be ethical and he has to be just in that comparison and they have to be able to relate to each other and be real to each other. And he says, instead of storing up treasures here, I'm telling you literally, when you live for my Father's kingdom, there are dividends, there are payouts, there are rewards, there are treasures you can't begin to imagine. 
Do you actually think Amazon is going to give you a better reward package and superannuation than the God of the universe? If you worked for the state or you worked for the government, I know they come with good pay packets and they come with great retirement packages. But is there a corporation in this earth where those CEOs can pay you more than what your father will pay you for pursuing his kingdom? What an insult to God when we really live more for the treasure we can get here uh, and we're constantly trying to better our job. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But then we never live with an attitude of, I want to fulfill the kingdom of God here on earth. The last part of the verse I read and I said, I'm going to stop here for a second. Now we're going to move on. This is what Jesus says, and this is why it's really important. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be too. So if the things of this world are the things that become your treasure, if the stuff that Jesus was talking about, isn't it interesting? Jesus said, God will give you the stuff. He ran a comparison. He said Solomon in all of his royal robes never looked as beautiful as one flower. Have you ever taken time to examine a flower? I love flowers. I love color. You notice I like everything that's loud. Everything that's in your face. Sorry, it's just my personality. I love flowers. As a guy, call me a wuss and I'll show you the guy side of me. As a guy, I love flowers, I really do. I stare at flowers and I think, man, that is an amazing creation. I see God in the flowers, I love it. I love combinations of colors that if I try to combine those colors in my wardrobe, I'm gonna look like a jerk. And somehow God knows how to make it work. And he says, Solomon in all of his wealth and all of his royalty couldn't clothe himself as well as God will clothe the field. How much more important you are to him. Yes. You see, where's your, where your treasure is, your heart's going to go there. And so if your treasure's the things that this world, this same world that's falling apart from country to country, from civilization to civilization, there's one common thing. We're becoming less civilized. The world's falling apart. And if our treasure is in the things of this world, the reality is that's where your heart's going to be. Now watch this. The reason why Jesus talks about all this stuff and then he says, seek the kingdom of God and God will give you the stuff is this. When you put your treasure, your treasure is the things of this world, you're putting value on the kingdom that Lucifer is king of. And you're putting second place to the kingdom that Jesus is king of. Thank you, Russ. You see, part of my job as preaching isn't just to motivate you. 
isn't just to tell you who you are in Christ. I love standing on the chairs and jumping up and down and getting excited and giving you the rah-rah, the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ. But I also have a responsibility, and that is to be a preacher who is a thought shifter. Because if you are a thought shifter, you can be a game changer. Hallelujah. And we are called to be game changers. The church has got to have a shift in what it believes the gospel to be. If we're going to be everything we can be, then the kingdom of God has got to be first and foremost in our lives. And when the church starts to be what God planned it to be, it doesn't matter who wins the White House because it's the church that's the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Hallelujah. Where your treasure is, what you put priority on, what your go after is, what do you go after? What do you go after? What do you dream about? Whatever your go after is, is what your heart will go after. Yeah. And Jesus said, let, the, let your go after be the kingdom of God. Because if your go-after is the kingdom of God, that's where your heart will be. Listen, this is security. This isn't a book of rules. This is a book of principles, and it's teaching me, dude, you want to stay safe. You want to stay on the, on the money. You want to run this race and run it well. Do you want to run a, a marathon and get to the end and find out, oh, you were on the wrong track? I don't want to run a marathon and get to the finish line and realize I finished the wrong race. How you doing, guys? Give me five. All right, give me five. Yeah. Jesus says stuff like this so that we stay on the track and we don't get duped by the spirit of this world. Are you hearing me? No, I said, are you hearing me? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Do you know Adam and Eve had stuff? Yeah, they were pretty naked in the garden, but they had stuff. They went after stuff. You see, Adam and Eve loved the thought of gaining the knowledge of good and evil when they already had the knowledge of God. So it was flashed before them as stuff. You got the knowledge of God, but you don't have the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. I want to tell you something. The knowledge of God far outstrips the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. I got me a whole heap of the knowledge of evil, and I'm still paying the price. Come on, how many of you acquired some knowledge of evil, and you've been paying the price for it for a long time? If we're honest, we're all going to put our hands up and say amen. amen. The knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil will never come close to the knowledge of God. 
And the same devil that was in the garden is the same devil who gets in your garden. And he's going to try to present stuff that looks shiny, that looks acceptable, that looks like, oh, i got to have that. And we put, we make that our treasure. And what it does is it takes our heart away from God. Adam and Eve wanted some stuff that didn't line up with God's kingdom. And in the end, the stuff that was so important to them took their heart away from God. Jesus says, what does it gain? A man, if he gains, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? You see, it's an important principle for us to understand that while we live in this world, it is always trying to peddle to us an invitation to put the things of this world above the things of the kingdom of God. I can work in the church and I can try to build the kingdom of God and I may not see a physical reward, but if I bust my butt and my corporation and I go gung-ho because I wanna have a second house and I wanna have three boats, and I'm not preaching against stuff. Jesus said, if you make the kingdom of God your priority, love God first and seek his kingdom first. He didn't say second. He made two firsts. Love God first above everyone and everything and seek, make a legal binding resolution in your heart to demand and to run after the kingdom of God. You see, the devil is very clever. And what the devil's done is he's dumbed the gospel down to the most basic issues and he's made the gospel about salvation. You can have your sins forgiven and you get to go to heaven. And the gospel of salvation starts with John 3:16. God so loved us. It's true. God so loved us. That he gave his son that if anyone will believe on him, they won't perish but have everlasting life. Here's the problem. With the gospel of salvation, though it starts the same way as the gospel of the kingdom of God, it'll bring you to a wrong foundation. Because as you follow the gospel of salvation, everything God did and everything God does and everything your life is about is you, 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 you. In the gospel of the kingdom of God, God so loved the world that he would trade his life for our broken lives so that we could become like his son so that then we'll live on the earth like his son. And there's a difference. You see, the devil says, if I can't stop you from going to heaven, I'm gonna give you a gospel with a wrong foundation so that you don't make a dent in my world. He's a strategist, not stupid, he's clever. 
He understands that if you understand the gospel of the kingdom, you're not going to be satisfied just coming to church every Sunday. You want to make a difference for the king of kings. You want to shut down the gates of hell. You want to stand up and make noise about the child sex industry. You want to stand up for the things that are morally right, and you want to stand against the things that are demonically wrong. You see, when you understand the gospel of the kingdom of God, it's not enough that your sins are forgiven it's not enough you're going to heaven when you understand the gospel of the kingdom you understand it's for king and for kingdom and it is our highest privilege to shut down the gates of hell and to be involved in a kingdom mentality we are here to bring change we are here to affect the world. I am not casually going to church while I'm waiting to get to heaven. I am going to church and I'm messing up the devil's plans as I go. Come on, if you agree, stand up and give the Lord a shout. Come on. Yeah, that's how it is. And take your seat. The gospel of salvation looks like the real thing. It starts the same way the gospel of the kingdom starts. It is about our salvation. It is about the fact that God loves us so much. But the gospel of salvation becomes a gospel all about you. Where the gospel of the kingdom starts with you and then makes you so bigger than life that it can't help but be about everybody else and every, everyone else. Amen. Religion. This dumbed-down version of Christianity is why America's in the trouble she's in. If we understood kingdom, it means you have to live with the purpose of putting God first and loving him first, and therefore you're going to be about his business. And when you're about his business, his business is loving the next person and getting them saved and loving the next person and getting them saved and loving this person and sharing with them all the garbage that you had to go through and how Jesus changed you so that you could inspire them to open their heart to Jesus Christ. When I ran business in between my periods of being a pastor, when I ran business, it wasn't to see how much money I could make. The attitude and the emphasis was, God, this is your business, and I'm doing my business for your business. I want to advance your kingdom with money, with influence, with anything that you put in my hands. The devil loves the gospel of salvation. Because with the gospel, can I pass? Thank you. With the gospel of salvation, you get a church full of people, and they come together. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. 
Because he first loved me. Amen. So good to see you. God bless you. I'll be back next week. And we live our life for ourselves. And in the gospel of forgiveness, we've turned God into a candy dispenser. And I'm going to put my quarter in, and I'm going to bang on that machine if my candy doesn't come out. In the gospel of the kingdom, we start to focus on who the king is. And we live with an attitude that says, God, I don't deserve what you did. How could you love me as much as you love Jesus Christ? You took me from all the poo-poo that I was in. It would be enough for you to just forgive me. But you made me a co-heir with Jesus. I don't have a place in heaven. I am seated at your right hand in the same seat as Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom focuses us and makes us realize all the stuff this world has to offer doesn't come close to the stuff God has to offer. Listen, as I close, I hate the clock. Jesus is God in the flesh. There's a story about Jesus when he was 12 years old. His parents went down to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast, one of the feasts. They finish having a great time. They're there for a couple of days. And Joseph and Mary are going home. They're three days out from Jerusalem. And it finally dawns on them. Oh, my God. Where's Jesus? And they rush back to Jerusalem, I assume three days later. Now they want to mask their embarrassment and they want to mask their own sense of failure. And so they get angry at Jesus and the Bible says they said to him, why did you do this to us? Excuse me. He's the 12-year-old. They're the adults. Why did you do this to us? Do you ever stop and think, why would God bother to put this story in the Gospels? There's more important stuff. Why would he write this? In fact, I am convinced he didn't only just write this. He blinded the eyes of Mary and Joseph. This is my personal opinion. I don't think they were negligent as parents. I think he deliberately made it slip their mind. He blinded them because he wanted to make a point. He wanted us to forever read God in the body of a a 12-year-old turned around and said to adults, you should have known I would have been about my father's business. You see, that's what Jesus lived when he was 12 And now as a preacher, he's saying, seek first. Love God with all your heart. He can't be second. Because the moment he's second, you have broken the greatest commandment. That is the biggest sin you could commit. 
We think the big sins are in the world. In God's economy, he says, no, the biggest sin falls in the church when you put me second place and you know how awesome I am. Don't pull the knife out quickly. Let it stay in there. Let the word cut. It cuts me and it's good. We need it. When I was younger, when I was a teenager, many, many, many years ago, a lot of people here are going to remember what I said. How many of you remember the perfume Brute? You remember the commercials with people like Joe Namath? You remember Joe Namath, the quarterback? When Brute first came out, it was one of the first colognes for men. And when you'd put it on your face, it would sort of sting, you know? It was like a slap. And so the commercials were like this here. You'd have this quarterback, Joe Namath, from the New York team, and he slaps himself after he puts Brute on. And he says, thanks, I needed that. Sometimes God gives us messages that are a little bit brutal. And we need to know how to say, thanks. I needed that. I needed that. I needed that. So here's God in the body of a 12-year-old telling adults, you should know. I'd be about my father's business. And then as an adult, he's preaching. Make a legal resolution that the kingdom of God comes first. And if you put the kingdom, if you put the kingdom, if you put the kingdom first, the cars, the house, the jet ski, God will add all these things to you. But if you don't put the kingdom of God first, you have put this world first. This is the kingdom of Satan. He's the God of this world. See, we don't always hear it with that slant. We don't always hear it preached quite like that. But the reality is Satan is the God of this world. And when his stuff attracts us more than God's stuff and we attend to our stuff in this world more than to the kingdom of God and advancing the gospel, we're our heart, our treasure's already in the wrong place and our heart will follow it. If you have any hate mail, you can address it to Paul Aquino <laughs> at... 12749 West Hillsborough Avenue. Church. The kingdom of darkness is banking on the fact that if they can't stop you from being saved, they don't want you rattling hell. They don't want you building the kingdom of God. And so they have introduced a perverted gospel that's all about us and what we can get from God and not the fact that it is our highest honor and our highest privilege to spend the rest of our lives building his kingdom. Amen. Amen. To nail that home, you know what the devil's done in the church? Oh, well, the ministers minister. 
their job. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, no, God set up a coaching team. It's called apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists to train up the body and equip them and bring them to the icon of Jesus so that they reach the full image of Christ so that they can do works of ministry. And demons laugh and they say, we got the church believing he's the minister and we've just reduced the workforce from 100 to 1. And we're just happy, oh, I'm going to go to heaven. And God says, no, I need you to kick the hell out of hell. I need you to be my voice. I need you to be my heart. I need you. Don't go to church. You are the church. Wherever you're working, be the church. Wherever, whatever business you have, do it as unto God. If God puts you in a position of prominence, God puts you in a position of wealth, use it for the kingdom because I promise you, if an unfaithful employer will give you your paycheck every week because he doesn't want to get sued, how much more a faithful God will give you the riches and the rewards that you earned because you sowed into the kingdom of heaven. Come on, give God some validation and let him know that you believe he is faithful. He is faithful. Stand with me. G'day, Andrew. How you doing? Good. Sometimes preachers are measured by how much their sermon made us feel good. And the temptation is that then we want to preach the stuff that you want to hear. Paul said in the last days, people will draw to themselves or they'll go to houses of worship where they hear what they want to hear. You know what the measure of a good house is? If the preacher has got backbone enough, <laughs> I gotta be careful what expressions I use, <laughs> to say the stuff you want to hear and to say the stuff you don't want to hear. Because if that guy is willing to say the stuff that's true, but not uh, popular, that's the guy who cares more about your eternal salvation than he does about his fame, his glory, and his popularity. Paul said, there are many preachers, there are only a few fathers, Paul said, many preach the gospel for personal gain. This could be a very unpopular message, and I could lose friends, but I have a contract with my father to speak the truth in love. There are two firsts. God in the flesh said, love me above anyone and everyone and anything I got to be first. It's the greatest commandment or the greatest sin. There's another first. Seek my kingdom first. 
and I will give you what you need in this world without you having to be shackled to some demon. Yes. Yes. Adam and Eve allowed their treasure to be in something Satan was offering when they already had the things of God. And because they allowed that to be their treasure, their heart went there too. Make serving the kingdom of God and living for the kingdom of God to be your number one priority and it will keep you in the faith because what you treasure is where your heart will always be. Praise God. How many of you here could say that the Holy Spirit is challenging you and convicting you today? Can you be honest? Now, hang on a second. I only got a few people, so maybe I didn't preach good. I already told you. I'm, I'm the dad in the house. I move in the apostolic. Some young kid was here preaching last week, and daddy got convicted, and I've been working on it all week, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm like you. The needle of my heart wavers too. I go through stuff just like you do. So I'm going to ask you again. Maybe I didn't preach as good as I thought today. How many of you are being challenged and convicted by the Holy Spirit? Good. Good. This isn't condemnation. Listen. I get up in the morning. My hair is all over the place. My breath comes out with fur. And I look in the mirror. And I don't get condemned. I do what I got to do so that people see the best me. Why are we so afraid of being condemned when we hear the truth? God's not condemning anybody in this room. I'm not condemning you. He's washing you with the word. We're looking in the mirror and we're letting the word wash us so that we will have our best game on. Come on. Don't do what I did. <laughs> I'm not picking a fight. Come on. The word needs to wash us so that we could put our best game on. Can we as sons of God repent and not feel guilty or condemned or feel like a weasel? Come on. I move in the apostolic. And I am not ashamed to go before my dad and say, Dad, I'm sorry. I really did let other things become a priority. I'm, tell I'm not speaking figuratively. I'm telling you, areas in my heart had to be worked on this week. Let's pray. I want you to close your eyes. And whatever the Holy Spirit is convicting you about here this morning, I want you to make that decision of repentance, change your thinking and saying, God, you got me today. I'll answer him later. Start to talk to God right now and say, God, I repent. I don't want to put me first. 
I don't want to chase the things of the world. I want you to give them to me so I'm not handcuffed to a demon. Help me to learn how to live for your kingdom. Help me to understand church isn't a place I go to. Church is who I am. And you want to bring church to the marketplace. You want to bring church to the school. You want to bring church to the road. You want to bring church to my family. I'm your church. Father, I thank you. You love us. Even when you're getting the needle in the right place, when you're helping us to focus, you don't hate us. You don't, you're not angry at us. You love us. You coach us. You correct us because you, you adore us. You love us. And today, Father, help us to understand there's a huge difference between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of your kingdom. Help us to people who really, to be who really live for your kingdom. We are your voice. We're here to make a statement. Help us more and more to become kingdom-minded. We are about our Father's business. And God, you're going to take care of all the stuff we need and all the stuff we want. And we don't have to compromise or sell ourselves out. Father, help me to not be afraid of offerings. Help me to understand that if I live to advance your kingdom, you will live to keep me healthy and wealthy. I mean, think about it, church. If you're going to be a major supplier to the kingdom of God, you think God's going to make sure you go bankrupt? He wants you to be a channel of finances. And the more he can trust you to be a channel of finances, if you're faithful and little, he'll give you more. Maybe you've been watering your family with a garden hose. Maybe God says, hey, finance my kingdom and I'll give you a fire hose. Honestly. It's not just about money. Unfortunately, American church has made it only about money. What are you living for? When you go to work, what are you living for? When you're interacting with people, what's the purpose of your existence? Baby Jesus, 12-year-old kid. You should have known. I'm going to be doing my father's business. If you love God and God is first, then you will love what God's business is about. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, that's where we start. Maybe you've lived a very selfish life. Everything's been about you. And here you are towards the middle of your life and you feel really empty. Maybe you're young and uh, you've been living for yourself and you really need to let Jesus have first place in your life. If you have never asked Jesus in your heart, if you want to make Jesus first and you've never done that, you, you don't know what it is to be born again. I want you to raise your hand and say, yes, I want Jesus to be number one in my life. I want to ask Jesus in my heart. I, I, I've screwed up. I've made mistakes. Forget about who's next to you.
They're not thinking about you right now. They're thinking about them, themselves. How many of you here this morning know you need to ask Jesus in your heart? Quickly, put your hand up. Raise your hand wherever you are and say, I want to ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus. You know what? I'm not convinced. Would you do me a favor? Turn to somebody next to you. Be gentle, be kind, be loving, and just say, hey, I'm doing this because the preacher told me to do it. Do you know Jesus? Have you asked him in your heart? Go on, turn to somebody. And if they haven't done that, encourage them. Come on. This is where it'll start. This is where it gets great. This is where it all changes. Anyone want to make that decision today? If you're watching online, call us. Did you just raise your hand? Good man. You know what I like? You got backbone. You're in a place you probably, I don't know if you've ever been here before, and yet you're making a decision and you're not afraid of what anybody thinks. That's honest. That's real. I'm proud of you. What's your name? Victor. Victor. Then it's my privilege. It's my honor. Can I hug you? Sure. Give me a hug. I love you, daughter. I love this girl. We are so proud of her here in this church. God has done an amazing work in her life. Well, let me ask you. Is she the same girl you knew? How many times were you arrested? Wasn't it somewhere around 150? Yeah. She's different. But you know what? God loves you just as much. Whether you were as bad as her or not, doesn't matter. Maybe you were goody two-shoes. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But even goody two-shoes, every one of us, the Bible says, every one of us have screwed up. And every one of us need God. Would you pray with me? I'm going to get everyone to pray. Guys, isn't this awesome? We, we don't look down our nose. You know why we don't look down our nose? Because we were all screwed up. And it's only the grace of God that saves us. So when we see someone like you who raises their hand, we think, wow, I remember when I did that. And immediately everybody becomes your fan club. Am I exaggerating? How many of you want to cheer for this guy? I want everyone to pray this prayer, but especially you. Just face me. You don't have to look at them. I'm more handsome. Good man. I'm proud of you. I mean this. We're all broken. We do crazy stuff because we've been messed up in a crazy way. God gets it. Religion doesn't always get it, but God, he, he gets us. And he's not angry. He doesn't hate us. He wants the opportunity to love us as we are and then heal us. That sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? Yeah. I want you to repeat after me. I want everyone to repeat after me. God, thank you. Thank you for coming to earth and taking my place 
on that cross. Jesus Christ, you are my hero. I need you. And I'm asking you, Jesus Christ, come into my life. I need you to heal me, to help me, to sort out my head and my heart. Forgive me of all of my mistakes. Because I made a lot. You died and you shed your blood to pay the price for my life. I receive you. I accept you. I put my faith in you. Jesus Christ, the same way I accept you. And I've been a faithless person. You accept me. Because you've always been faithful. I thank you for bonding yourself to me. Thank you, God, for hearing me today, saving me today, forgiving me today, and coming to live inside me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I'm going to pray for you. You know why I'm going to pray for you? Heaven has given me authority to break stuff off of people's lives. I want everyone to put your hand towards this gentleman. Father, I thank you. This is real. It's not a show. What you've done for his little girl, I thank you, God. And you're going to do stuff in his heart, too. I speak to the kingdom of darkness and I speak to the demons of his past and I even speak to the demons of your present. And in the name of Jesus, I come in the name of all authority. And I cover this man with the blood of Jesus that washes and breaks every stronghold and breaks every sin and every curse. I speak to the kingdom of darkness and today I say in Jesus' name, you have no more rights over this man. Today he becomes a child of God. Today I cover I, I, and I cut off the chains of darkness and I command strongholds and demons, get out in Jesus' name. Father, I cover this man's mind and emotions with the precious blood of Jesus, I thank you. You love him as much as you love me. We bring this man into a place of deliverance and freedom and liberty. Holy Spirit, now I breathe you into his spirit. I breathe you into his spirit. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. You're becoming a revelation inside of him. In Jesus' name, amen.